Yo, what's up, guys? Welcome to the Witness This podcast. This is episode three, and today's guest is Davis Vasconcelos. Now, this interview was definitely a long one. It runs on for about an hour and 45 minutes. I was planning to break it up into two separate pieces. However, it just it felt right that it be left all together as one. So if at some point you want to pause it and come back to it later, I would recommend that. However, if you have the attention span to sit through two hours of our conversation, you know, maybe you put this on while you're driving or while you're cleaning or working around the house, I recommend it. We touch on a lot. We speak about where the parkour culture is going, the similarities between parkour and skate, which Davis is really good to talk to about that due to his close ties to the professional world of skateboarding through his sister, Nora Vasconcelos, who is a pro athlete, a pro skateboarder for Adidas. She's an amazing athlete, so check her out if you don't know about her already. We talk about parkour competitions, so World Chase Tag, NAPC, potentially what happens if the parkour makes it to the Olympics. We speak about his plans for the future with unparalleled movement, his family life, what it was like for him to get up and move completely across the country from New York to California. We speak about taking that leap into the unknown. And then we start getting real deep talking about life and confidence, mental health issues, and what it means nowadays to be a man in a society where old school thoughts of what it means to be a man are still being taught and there are still remnants of that old style of thinking. So Davis is absolutely an amazing person to pick his brain, highly intelligent. If you only ever judge him from just his quick social interactions, you may not understand how intelligent he actually is. You have to take a minute to get through the goofing around and through the games to realize that he's well-written, well-spoken, extremely articulate. You know, like, Davis was definitely one of my favorite interviews by far. Uh, Before you get started, make sure that you remember the price of admission. If this is your first time here, I will let you know what it costs to listen to this. And don't worry, it's not any money, so put your wallet away. What I ask for in exchange for you listening and receiving the value is you share this with a friend. You go on social media, you screenshot yourself listening to the podcast, you tag witness this underscore brand, you tag Davis's Instagram, you reach out and you DM and let us know that you are listening, that our words are making it to your air holes and information and neurons are firing in your brain, your new ideas are sparking and all that good stuff. Anyhow, without further ado, I introduce you, Davis Vasconcelos. What's up, freak bitches? We're going to do that intro after, too. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We out here. We out here. Yo, so what's up, guys? You're chilling with Marlon and... Davis. Wait, that was back. (laughs) (laughs) I promise I won't make us run it back. Nah, yo, we're keeping that. All right, fuck. You know, so I got a couple questions already lined up for you. This first one, we're going to come at you. It's pretty loaded of a question. Not too oh, much. We're starting, you're not even going to ask me on my days, bro? Nah, bro. Even though you know, because I've seen you all day, bro. I've seen you all week, bro. You've been chill. Yeah, yo. So, um, 
Davis, you've been a part of the parkour community for some time now. You've been around the world, trained with some of the best athletes, participated in a lot of events, NAPC, um, World Chase Tag, Hop the Block. I'm curious to know if you have an opinion on where you think the current parkour culture is heading for the future. Where I think it is going or where I would like to see it go? They're both like where you think it's going. I don't know how now. different they actually are. I don't, I mean, I'm pretty stoked on what I've seen. Um, I don't think that parkour is a monoculture in the sense that I don't think parkour is just going in one direction. I think there's going to be a lot of like, dare I say, sex of parkour, you know? sections of parkour of of different communities that will latch on to whether it be different ideas or different events or different styles of both of those things um it does seem like we are trying to do two things at once and i don't think it's a bad thing but trying to have more of like the grassroots street aspect of things like own the spot like that just happened what was that back last june or this june yeah and uh that immediately like hit it off like crazy you know like everyone was like talking about how the people who were there i have only heard good reviews of it and the people who have watched it i haven't really heard much criticism other than like oh we were expecting hop hop the block and we go on the spot which is like unfortunately unfortunate but that was out of like jerome and all of their all the guys that commits control because the uh i think it's emus festival which is the festival that they were running hop the block at like kind of dropped the ball on getting their space rented out um we're talking about what direction we're going in yeah like what direction i think to kind of shorten it i think that uh well a lot of like more street it's hard to even explain it without just using the word street, but like it seems like a lot of people are moving back towards the streets and like kind of the OG method of just like creating your own movement on concrete where the risk is high. If you like are experimenting a lot, you're gonna either have to learn how to fall safely or get hurt. Um, but there's, like I said, it's not mono like cultural. There's people who are now pushing into gyms deeper and deeper and like you see athletes like max antle from from the northwest who's like just pushing the limits like a bit like playing parkour like a video game because he has like i forget what gym do you know what gym it is up in i want to say is it forge i think it's forge yeah um and they uh it's one it's a wonderful looking gym i've never been there but from what i've seen it's like an excellent gym and you with a gym you have this like controllable environment you control the variables whether you put down mats or go straight to the the rubber floor you can move certain obstacles around and he's been throwing down like absolutely insane stuff you know and changing the game in that level but then at the same time on almost the opposite end of the spectrum you have like benj and max who are in the streets continuing i think a lot of people thought that there's only a certain amount of things you can do but like they're continuing to push the limits of like street lines and like street style and being able to like make these ridiculously intricate lines with so much vertical movement that it's like just absurd how many stories they can they can cover. Not even just through like pure descents, but like some of the, the lines I've seen Benj do kind of just dropping through windowsills while striding 
doing some wild stuff and it's just like amazing to see that street style and the gym style be able to grow in parallel see that's pretty cool because that starts to remind me of just i can't help but always think about skateboarding because yeah. i used to skate before this having vert and having street and yep. seeing that both were able to segment and keep growing mm-hmm. and they're under the same umbrella exactly of yeah. skateboarding but vert's completely different yeah from street skating and we definitely see that when you have those dudes in the yeah. gym absolutely throwing down and it's almost becoming its own version of the sport that gym training where you know like lache games are leveling up big time mm-hmm. and you're not really finding laches outside in the streets it's no. so yeah like it's rare but Unless the thing is, when you do, when like you take someone like Tim, for instance, who's like obviously ex-gymnast, the only person I've ever met who can actually do a proper iron cross, which is like when I, you see that in person, it's like wild to see. Um, but like Tim, when he does find a lache outside, it's like crazy because it's like seeing a lache properly done in the streets. And I can't think of any examples off the top of my head, but like it is cool because they're so rare. And there's, it's such a specialist type of thing because, like, on one hand, like, a running jump can apply to so many different scenarios. Like, the tech for a running jump, you know? It doesn't even have to apply to just a running jump because a running jump then turns into a stride, which turns into, like, rail strides or, like, tic-tacs have a very similar tech, you know? A lache is almost just a, la- like, you're only doing that on a bar, so it's such a specialist movement. So when you get to see, like, Tim bring a lache, whether it's from one gym to another with like a similar tech because i know he did the like a lache big like lache dash prees he did a massive one at unparalleled forget where else i saw him do a big one but it's like it's such a niche such a specialist like movement and it's not anymore because of parkour parks but in the streets it is and it's just wild to see that like people can take that to such lengths like such a niche little thing and they can just pull it and expand it so wide. Heck yeah, man. All right, so um, correct me if I'm wrong. I do believe the other day I heard you say that you actually don't like to hear that comparison of parkour to skateboarding. Um, no, I, I, I think you might be wrong. But there is, there is a, uh, a clarification to be made there because... I'm not sure. I was big on like comparing the trajectories of each sport for a while, but when you look at the economics of each sport, they're just so vastly different. I do like comparing the cultures a lot because I think there is like they both are starting as like counterculture. And if you think about the kids that would have started skateboarding when skateboarding was like, let's say, like the Lords of Dogtown era, which anyone who's ever heard me talk about skateboarding is like shaking their head and like doing this right now because <laughs> I always bring up the Lords of Dogtown era but it was very similar to parkour in the sen- in the sense that it was like people that couldn't fit in anywhere else were going to skateboarding it was like a sport for the grifters it was a sport for the outcasts you know and it's such a cliche and overused thing but it is it is it still rings true you know like when you think of the kids that come to parkour class you get those like general athletic kids like I've taught plenty of kids that come from gymnastics or come from track and field or baseball or basketball, but the vast majority of kids that I've seen get into it are like kind of the kooky kids, you know, like the kids that like, they're not really sure where to, where they belong. And that was a big reason I got into it. I, I hated 
most traditional sports. Like when I was playing soccer as a kid, I was just like not even worrying about the ball. I was just sprinting around. <laughs> and my dad like has video of me when I was doing hot, like playing hockey as a kid. And I would just like not care about the puck. I would literally just go as fast as I could on skates. And then he's like, all right, we'll try speed skating. And then we got there and I was like, nah, like this is dumb. Like I don't want to be part of this. And then like track ended up working really well. But yeah, you see that the kids that come into parkour are very similar to the kids that were going into skateboarding. And I still think are going into skateboarding where they're just like, they just don't fit in really with that traditional mindset. They want to find their own path. And they're the biggest thing is they're okay with doing something that's criticized, like that's easily criticizable, you know, like you're not going to make it very far in parkour if you can't deal with the office jokes, you know, or if you can't deal with like people telling you to do backflips, which I don't take well, but <laughs> I digress. You're not going to do well if you can't handle criticism and if you can't deal with people making fun of you because eventually you're going to just fold and go play baseball, which is nothing wrong with that. But so I think there's a fair, plenty of fair comparisons to be made between skating and parkour, but I think it has to kind of end at when we talk about like skating sponsorships sometimes. Um, and I was making this mistake for a while, and Dylan kind of brought Dylan Poland kind of brought it up and was like, "You're not. I think you're missing a big part of this, which is that when skateboard sponsorships started, um, a lot of it was wheels, trucks, bearings, boards, deck, uh, decks, grip tapes." etc you know um and we don't have that we have maybe shoes coming up because stores making shoes tempest is making shoes frank's making shoes but the majority of teams aren't making shoes the majority of teams are like printing stuff on blanks or like i mean it's the first time i'm wearing this venture shirt but it's like nice it's not blanks but it's really nice you know um so we have clothes and that's about it so other than like gyms competitive teams and clothes we have to go outside the sport and skateboarding did that pretty well but skateboarding just has so much more in sport things that are inside that bubble that are able to produce income for the athletes and for the companies that parkour isn't gonna have because of the nature of the sport you know where it's a minimalist sport you need a pair you don't even need a pair of shoes you need your body and something and that something can be a flat bed of grass and you can become a tricker which is just like there's flat ground skateboarders too, you know. Dude, I 100% agree, and that's something I thought about for a while, that with parkour, we really don't need anything. You can have some chasers running around barefoot in yeah. the jungles, absolutely ripping it up and creating beautiful lines. They don't even need a shirt on. Like, they're yeah. just running around shorts, no socks, just Tarzan in the jungle. Yeah. So, I got a question for you. What do you think then could parkour use in order to grow to a point where athletes can potentially make a better than average living you know with skateboarding we do see that we have some of the superstars in the skate world like Nigel Houston who are living super comfy do you think that's an actual yeah very you think that's an actual reality potentially for parkour athletes in the future and if so what would it take to get us there. I understand it's just your opinion. It's not yeah. necessarily fact. But I'm curious to hear what you think could get us there, what we could contribute to this community that would start to lay that foundation. Um, first of all, for those of you who are going to hold me to this, <laughs> I'm probably wrong. 
so give me a break. But um, I think, at least right now, I think if you look at the success of Ninja Warrior, there's very clearly a market for this type of, of sport. And Ninja Warrior, I think, did a really good job of making it accessible not just to people who want to get into it, but making it accessible to the viewers, people who want to watch it. Um, I just don't think they did a good job with the actual competition. Like, and I think most people can agree. And they also made it into what used to be an incredible Japanese competition. They made it into a pretty mediocre American game show and English and Russian and European and every country now has Ninja Warrior. Um, so I think... I think World Chase Tag, to be honest, right now, as far as grassroots events that come from parkour, I don't think World Chase Tag is a parkour event, for the record. I think it is a chase tag event. Parkour athletes are just the best at it. UFC is an MMA event. Brazilian jiu-jitsu athletes just tend to be the best at it. You know? Um, so I think there's potential that like other sports could have athletes come in like i know they had to they tried to have like a tennis player play world chase tag but it's like there's a certain level of because they're so explosive and they're so quick and agile but they don't deal with rails they don't deal with walls they don't deal with anything else you know um so right now i think world chase tag i think would be a not a good like basket to put our eggs in but i do think it's a it's worth keeping an eye on because i think they have, it's very accessible. They, ha- they check a lot of the boxes off. It's very accessible. Most people have played tag, I hope. If not, I'm sorry. You had a pretty weird childhood probably. Um, and it's also intense. It's like, it's easy to watch, you know? And it's easy to understand. Oh, when you evade someone, when you last 20 seconds, you get a point for your team. Boom, done. And it's like, the court itself is, I th- think that's a genius idea because I was talking to the DeVoe, eh, the DeVoe brothers, um, Christian and Damien, who are like the, they're the, I don't want to say masterminds, but they're the guys who came up with it and they're the guys who like fund most of it. Really nice guys. And they actually have, for those of you guys on Instagram, which hopefully is all of you, they one of them, I'm not sure who, has a son named Orlando who's on Team Fat and Orlando awesome. is sick. And if you don't follow Orlando... Go follow Orlando. I don't know what his Instagram tag is, but his full name is Orlando DeVoe. I think his Instagram's like Orlando.fat or whatever the scheme is for the for the fat boys. Um, but he's sick, so follow him. Um, I digress. I think World Chase Tag, yeah. They have the uh, the court, and the whole idea behind the court is that it's supposed to be like a UFC ring. So UFC isn't like... It's two guys or two women versus each other in a ring that is uh, recreatable easily, you know? So a ring in Japan is the same as a ring in America, obviously. The rules are generally the same. A court in France is the same as a court in California. A court in UK at the finals is the same. So the idea is that they can have courts throughout the world that are all standardized. So you can have teams throughout the world that are all being able to practice. And then it comes down to, it's not like, oh, you got to train at Origins, so you're more comfortable with that gym and you have an advantage, which I'm not saying is true for SPL because it's not Hendo wins because he's the fastest. Right. <laughs> but 
you have that level of it almost takes out the home field advantage and it makes it so that it's just like mano y mano. It's you versus the guy you're chasing against. And I think that's like really, really cool because it allows for it to be so evenly based every time. And it allows it to be viewed in multiple different countries. You know, you don't just have to follow SPL to watch it. That being said, personally, I would much, I would like to see SPL come up alongside World Chase Tag and be a contender. Um, and I think the issue right now is just the format changes so so much, which makes a lot of sense because it's a harder format. It's not just chase; it's skill, speed, and style, and you need to make all of those playing fields as even as possible. And that, along with the viewership issue, it's hard to get people to watch that because when you look at like an SPL speed course, if you're a parkour athlete, you're like, damn, that's hard and that's sick that it's set up the way it is. But if you're not, it's kind of hard to get it because the whole, there's an entire gym around it and you have to imagine the course just based off the flags. And if you don't know parkour lines and if you're not used to parkour movement, it's kind of inaccessible. Um, which is why I don't agree with the criticism on the hop the block course. And I do agree with the criticism on the fig course, but I don't think the fact that it's a straight line is, it's a valid criticism. I don't think it's actually a problem. I think you can do straight line courses that are very good. Um, and I think that head to head format is really good as well. And I just, I don't know how they would integrate that into SPL. I don't think they want to integrate that into SPL, but I think it would give at least the speed portion of SPL, it would give that a lot of leverage in the viewership community outside of parkour if they were able to make it more of a head-to-head -head thing because that's what people want to see. You know, people don't really watch time trial events. They watch the 100-meter dash because there's six guys running against each other right there, and you can see it. You don't have to watch Seth run, take his run, and then watch Joe take his run and try to figure out like he's how like how faster. they were faster though yeah because like you'll you'll see the time at the end and you'll be like oh he was faster but it's so easy for someone to be like oh like he looked really fast and then they get a second longer than the guy after them you know um so i think as far as competitions go for the future of like parkour and making a living i think world chase tag might be the best bet right now and i think it's the strongest contender um as far as making a living outside of competition I almost don't feel like I can even comment on that because I'm probably the worst out of all of the guys I train with at like monetizing myself as an athlete outside of competition um, I do I would like to see more videos like Roof Culture Asia but that comes with the fact that we need to be willing to pay for videos so many skate teams were just video teams so many professional skateboarders are just video skaters like what people don't realize is so many of the best skateboarders in the world don't compete. They make videos. And then those teams sell those videos or and they sell clothes as well. And I'm just going to reach into my family and take out Welcome Skateboards, which is the skateboard company my sister rides for. They just came out with Seance, um, which was like a full video video they had. I think it's like 35, 40 minutes long. Go watch it if you haven't. It's on YouTube. Um, but they like welcome uses that to then push their brand and sell clothes, you know, but there's like, if you look back to like 2000 mid to late two thousands, there was enjoy skateboards bag of suck video, which is still my favorite video of all time. And they sold that as a DVD and you buy that DVD and it's like 
seven bucks and then you have one of the greatest skate videos of all time and you support a team who can then go out and make another video. And I think when people in parkour, for whatever reason, aren't really willing to spend that money. And like, I think I'm really glad that this opinion is becoming more popular of like, hey, we need to be willing to spend money. Like you need to like be willing to spend $20 to go to a jam. You need to be willing to spend $20 on a t-shirt. Like I also agree that you need to be willing to spend five to like $10 on a video if it's worth it. You know, if it's a shit video, don't buy money. It's like, don't spend it, you know, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at is I think video parts, we need to start supporting video parts, supporting the clothing companies and supporting the competitions. Um, World Chase Talk is going to be sick. <laughs> Dude, yo, I mean, I 100% agree with everything you said. And I, like I said, I came from skateboarding. So yeah. I remember when videos would drop and how excited I would be to go cop a DVD. You know, look how I fully flared one of my favorite videos back in the day. Like, Boy. Yeah, and like, it's almost like we're getting to a place now because of, I don't want to go on that route of saying like, because of Instagram, that video is becoming a little less can we actually valuable. stay on that topic because i think that's I'm, we could definitely go there because i know personally i'm in that opinion of believing like i miss projects that's why what storm has been doing recently i'm absolutely in love with i want to support that yeah. in any way shape or form i've been talking to giles he wants to start creating more projects i love the film festival yeah you know we need to get back to the place where we're storing clips and we're going out and shooting intentionally to create a project that's not just a cell phone dump every couple of weeks. Or Shout out to Keelan Ryan for Save Your Clips, by the way. He, oh. he had that little, he hid that in the, la in the video of recreating joy. He just came out with it and it was Save Your Clips. See, like, that's beautiful. We need to, we got to get back there. Yeah. Because, like, really, there's, once it's on Instagram, you kind of don't care about it after you watch it. Like, it doesn't really hit you that The half-life of an Instagram clip is, like, 24 hours. It's if just, even that long. Yeah. Like, I mean, if it's a banger clip, maybe two days. Maybe 48 hours. 90%, like, 12 hours. <laughs> and it's like, gone to the feed. If that. Like, my clips, I would guess, probably have a half-life of, like, 10 hours before it's, like, I have a couple more people who have, like, probably 200 people they follow that will see it. Everyone else is following like a thousand people. It's gone, you know. One hundred percent. So I mean, personally, I know I would like to see projects come back. I like that video you dropped not too long ago. It was maybe about two months ago now at this point. Yeah, it was just a, it was two or three weeks after Fool's Jam. So back in April, late April or early June. I'm not sure when. Okay, I've been living on Woodward a little too long. Actually, no, it was yeah. 420 because that's Ken's birthday, and I dropped it on Ken's oh, birthday. Sure, yeah, I think. I might be wrong, but I'm going to go with that. <laughs> but, like, that was sick to see, like, you know, we hadn't seen a lot from you on Instagram, but then this video drops, and it's like, oh, shoot, like, Davis has been putting in work this whole time. And that, I feel like, has more of an impact. That's the sort of video I want to rewatch. That's the yeah. sort of video that when it comes out, I get hyped to go train, and now I'm fueled for the next two yeah. to three weeks. Well, the thing about that as well, and that's... This is more my fault than anything, but there were like two clips in there that hadn't been released before. Everything else was, it really was an Instagram compilation. Um, but it is nice because it's like those, it shows that like those challenges still have value, but just you in a different place. So it's like 
no one's going to scroll back through my Instagram till last June and watch my clips from when I was in Brighton or when I was in Eindhoven. But if I make a video and I throw those clips in, they're gonna, people will watch it, you know? I don't think that that should... If I like, even if I did 45 minutes of that and made it like and it was all bangers, I don't think anyone should pay for that really because they already saw it and they can go back and do that. But like, if I'm going out, actually, I'm going to drop something real quick. Myself, Kent, and some of the other unparalleled, uh, unparalleled guys are planning loosely a Euro trip next summer for like a month or two. And we're actually trying to do like a 30 minute, maybe 20 minute, maybe. 35 hopefully minute video that's going to be like a proper video that we're going to try to release for like i think like three bucks um but like that's i think if you're going to ask for money it needs to be that type of thing like we're going to be flying ourselves to europe staying there in with the intention of one having a good time two pushing ourselves as athletes and three making a video that is worth paying for because like to be honest, the, like me getting a clip while I'm training up at peak, you know, or in Boston or in LA with friends, I'm not sure how much I can act. Like you can't, I don't, no matter how good that clip is, I'm not sure if I can just be like, put a monetary value on that. But when you do a project, like you were saying, like a project is more than just the clips. You know, it's everything that goes into it, whether it's the editing the vision behind every shot that you make, the vision behind every line. Because it's not just like, oh, this line was fun. It was like, I'm doing a line that shows my movement to the fullest extent and is also going to be very satisfying to watch, you know? Which should be, I guess, how you train and how you film to begin with. But I'm not sure if it always is. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because I overheard a conversation in the cafeteria today, like, out of nowhere, and they were talking about video parts from BMX and one of the things is you can see when somebody shoots for a project that the lines they create are them actually pushing themselves yeah. to pretty much their limit whereas like our daily training we might go out we might do something cool and it lives in that you know 60 to 90 percent power or skill mm -hmm. range but when we make that project we're out there and we're doing a line and we see oh you know what I know how I can make this better yeah. and now we feel like we owe it to the project to make that one happen yeah. we know it to ourselves yeah we can't like settle anymore like oh well this is the one I can do really easily but this is the one I'm now seeing is possible and yeah. I said this project was going to be me pushing it to the max you know mm. so I think that's another thing people pay for and what we enjoy when I think about uh, Nate Weston's homecoming right or hometown not homecoming hometown that video was insane. Yeah. And that's a video I personally think if he had put it up on Vimeo, it was like, yo, two bucks. Although it's a short one. Yeah, it was especially like less than five minutes or right. five minutes-ish. Especially because they have the behind the scenes afterwards. Yeah. And that's what I love the most is when you can hear about the intention mm -hmm. and your understanding, okay, wow, this was the thought process that was put into every line. This is what it took to film. I didn't know that you had to come back here three mornings in a row because the conditions weren't yeah. right. Exactly. That's things that when you find out, you're even more impressed by what you witnessed. Mm -hmm. So when we get back to that place where we're starting to value that as a community, because that takes a lot. A lot of these athletes, they're doing that. And 
they're not really getting anything for it besides maybe recognition from within the community. But, yeah. you know, I mean, they're making a huge sacrifice to do this. And for the most part, they're putting their kind of like their financial life at jeopardy by sacrificing the time to trade it into parkour. Obviously, yeah. it's a choice they make. But if we don't reward them and vote with our money that this is what we want to see more of, you know, what I mean, we're not really encouraging people to go out and make more of this stuff. That yeah, we love. yeah. And it, and it does in a way. It's weird because like. The whole Instagram thing's weird because I think if you look at it in the big picture of like should performance be should performance be monetarily valued, you know? And you look at like someone who is a professional photographer goes out and does a project, like whether it's like a photo shoot for a model or like even like a photo shoot for like of an athlete, you know, or a video project for like an advertisement. They're expecting to get paid for the work they're putting in, which is why you see so many, like, I'm not sure if you've ever seen, like, these memes of, like, people being like, hey, do you want to do this work? Like, there's a bunch of exposure in it for you, and it's like, fuck that. Like, exposure doesn't pay the bills, you know? Um, and I wonder sometimes if it's like, oh, shit, where was I at with this? Oh, yeah. <laughs> My dad is an illustrator. He's a he's a art teacher now as well, but he's been an illustrator since I believe the late '80s after college. And he was telling me the other day we were talking about how at one point in his illustration career, him and all of his friends started noticing that a lot of people were doing that like work for free. So like my dad, for instance, would make a lot of his money off like Sports Illustrated would ask for like a small like. Uh, illustration for like a story they were writing, you know, and my dad or one of his friends would do it and they would get money and that's how they would pay the bills because they would be doing churning those out, you know, the same way that we're churning out Instagram clips, which given it's it, there's there's a difference between the two because there's a direct monetary value to the art that my father was making, you know, but then what happened was say my dad was charging like $200 for like a, an image for for Sports Illustrated um, sometimes he would start to realize that like someone else would do that for like 20 bucks because they were just a college kid and they didn't really need to worry about bills yet. Like they had college to pay, but like they didn't have a family yet, you know? So they were willing to like do that for less. But what happens is that kid who's willing to do an illustration for $20 is devaluing my father's work, whether it's bringing it bet to a, like a more realistic value is up for debate, but it is, literally devaluing other people's work and i wonder if now that the age of youtube seems to be fading like the longer videos you know and the age of like instagram clips seems to be rising i'm not sure if they're in direct competition but it does seem like i wonder if all these like 15 second clips that we're we're all releasing for free every single day is devaluing all of our work I'm not on, like, I'm on the fence on that. I don't know, and I'm probably wrong about that, but, like, it does seem like it's very possible that we're all just devaluing our own our own worth, you know? No, 100%, and that, you know, it makes sense where someone's willing to come in. I've seen it with, you know, coaching. Yeah, I would yeah. start charging. 
I upped my price. Like when I'm mm -hmm. back home in New York, I charge $100. For private lessons? Yeah, private yeah. lessons, I'm charging 100 an hour. And I've had people look at me and say like, yo, you're crazy for that, you can't be doing that. I'm like, well, why not? Like I believe that I'm undervaluing myself at $100 an hour yeah, yeah, yeah. for what I'm giving these people. I yeah. genuinely believe it's worth more, but I'm trying to play in the middle and there are people worth that are willing to pay that price. So yeah. why would I not tap in to that market? Exactly. And it's almost like it's a limiting mindset where we don't believe that our culture and our community and our discipline is worth this yeah. amount of money. So we're always devaluing it for the person on the other side. We don't even introduce them to the conversation. We have the conversation in our mind and we're like, we decide, yo, you know what, you're not gonna be willing to pay this much, let me just put it down here. Yeah. And what I do is I now present it to you as this is only worth this much. So that's your baseline for the conversation later on when we do have it. And it, now if I wanna raise the price, if I start at 20 and I wanna say actually, it's really worth 200, it's too late. I already put that baseline at 20. Yeah. Our community needs to start, I personally believe our community needs to start seeing itself as worth more and not being afraid to charge the heavier prices. You know, we had Justin Schaefer running Jump Fest and that was a big thing. He had his prices, I don't know if you ever went out to the event, no. but he had the prices for the tickets at, I think, $225 for the week. But that was like a very, like, all-inclusive event, correct? Right. He included a lot. And yeah. a lot of people don't even realize that, that $225 price tag was extremely undervalued. Like he, yeah, he made money, but he was not getting rich off of your yeah. $225 ticket with everything. And he should he be making included. money for organizing an event like that. Right. A lot of people don't quite recognize that contribution, which is kind of where I want to go with this conversation is right now in our community, our main contributors or the main contribution seems to be from the side of athleticism of how can I push the sport yeah. as an athlete how can I push the movement so it evolves however I'm starting to notice that we have a few a handful of people that are willing to push it from other sides whether it's the organizers when they're getting events together or people figuring out how to manage talent mm -hmm. and monetize either themselves or their friends. We, I personally think we need to get to a place where we can contribute something else along with the movement. We don't have to yeah. contribute only one thing. You know, we, had, we have Henry Blue here. He's one of the other directors at Woodward. He's working on a video game. Yeah. You got to play it the other night. It's so dope. Right? <laughs> it's pretty rad. And that's something cool where Henry's a talented mover. And now he's also working on this video game, which has the potential to really be something big in the future. Yeah. And that is still contributing to the parkour community, yeah. the parkour culture, where it sticks to the roots and it provides another avenue where you're like, I want to be a part of this, but I don't know if I necessarily want to push it and do quad full off of a, like, yeah. a block or if I want to hit a 15-foot level concrete. Like... I enjoy the movement for the sake of progression mm -hmm. and for fun, but I don't want to be that pro athlete. However, I still want to give back to this community yeah. and make a living while doing so. So I know with like you being so close to your sister as um, a pro skate athlete, mm -hmm. I'm sure you get to see a lot of people in the skate world that yeah. aren't pro skaters, but they are very much a part of the skate community and they're role in the skate community yeah. is hugely important that might not get a spotlight 
shown on them. Yeah. Um, what do you well, think? it's interesting because, and I'm going to just, because I yeah. think I know where you're going with this. It's cool to see in parkour that that is becoming more accepted of like, you don't need to just be an athlete. You can be an event organizer. You can be a team manager, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and filmers now are, I think, starting to a little bit get the credit they deserve. Um, Cause I know that like my sister, I see a lot of people come through our house in Oceanside. Most of them are not professional skateboarders, but almost all of them are professionals in skateboarding. So whether it's like her friend Tyler Wilcox, who's like one of the main filmers for, for Thrasher, one of the main filmers and photographers for Thrasher, he comes out a lot. Um, I mean, even our roommate Josh, who's dating my sister's friend Nicole, who's also, Nicole and Nora are both professional skateboarders. Nicole is like a professional skateboarder, mostly as an athlete. She competes and that's kind of like where most of her professionalism comes from, I believe. That's where most of her like money and sponsorships come from. And Nora, even herself is kind of moving away from that. Like she came up as a really good skateboarding athlete and now she's moving into like that personality as well. So she's kind of embracing whether it's like the fashion or just Nora as like, I'm not going to go as far to say like a skateboarding celebrity, but like she has a huge following just based off who she is as a person. And that's part of it as well. And then there's like uh, Nicole's boyfriend, Josh, he is not a professional skateboarder, but he is a professional in the skateboarding world. He works at uh, California Ramp Works. So anytime any, anyone at home is watching uh, the Vans Park series in China or, like, really anywhere, um, the Dew Tour in Huntington Beach, like, geez, I think that was, like, a week or two ago, he's part of a team of, like, a few guys that build those ramps. So they literally fly out to the event, like, a month beforehand they put up an entire skate park essentially for like the vans park series and then they stay through the event and then afterwards they stay for like another like couple weeks and they just tear it down and then they do it again and they like make all of the ramps if you're gonna get a ramp in your backyard in california or if you're gonna be like uh if you're part of like a, a town council that's gonna create a skate park you're gonna go to his company and they're gonna create a park you know so seeing like almost like parkour gym builders or parkour park builders and designers popping up i don't know of anyone at the moment who's doing that but i imagine there's got to be someone doing it because i mean if you look at all the apex gyms they're all designed fairly similarly and they're all in my opinion really well designed um and you see parkour parks popping up all throughout england you know um i don't know who's designing those but i imagine there is someone there designing them and i think in the future we're gonna have hopefully we'll have California parkour parks, you know? We'll have people who are able to work as just like going to these events and setting up parkour parks, speed courses, skill challenges, and then tearing them down and being able to make a living off that. Even more so, filmers, um, clothing designers, like Giles and Keelan are doing obviously a massively incredible job at Modus. Um, being able to see that pop up as or those those avenues of of like light of like creating a career is really good to see and i think those are almost like symptoms of a healthy community if we only had athletes making all the money i'm not sure how healthy of a community that is you know but having all these vast different um trajectories that you can take while still being in parkour you know it doesn't you don't need to be like oh i started as a parkour filmmaker and now i 
only shoot for Nat Geo, which would be fucking incredible to do. But being able to stay in parkour and then make that living as well, I think for me, if I was a parkour filmmaker, that's what I would rather do, you know, um, is to be able to stay in parkour while making that living. And I think that is becoming more viable, which is, I think, a really good sign. Hell yeah, dude. I mean, that's something Daryl and I spoke about about two weeks ago. We were saying that it comes from a place of almost knowing yourself and knowing that you are a parkour athlete first and then letting that yeah. be like, if you're going to be a part of this community, be a part of this community and understand like when you go out and do other things, you're a parkour athlete going out doing these other things. You're not mm-hmm. training. Kind of like when the guys go and do Ninja Warrior it's like, yo, you're a parkour athlete doing the ninja course. Yeah. Like, you're not turning into a ninja for the ninja show. Yeah. You're a parkour guy out there. And understanding that you need to feed back to this community so it's fully recognized, so people see the attributes and qualities that they want. Because I think that was a thing a little while back with the stunt world where they were looking for people to do certain movements. And they didn't understand that the people they were looking for were just parkour athletes. Yeah. They had no clue. So they're like kind of picking and choosing from random places where it's just like, dude, go find any competent parkour athlete. They can do exactly yeah. what it is you want. And it's, it is funny to see that because like, it's funny you say that rather because I've been recently getting in, not getting into stunts, but starting to kind of appreciate stunts in movies. So when I watch a movie, a big 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 thing that I value that movie on is in at least in my very limited knowledge how well the stunts are like how well the stunts are, are choreographed and performed and it's always so frustrating to see some like espionage movie or some action movie where they're in the middle of a chase scene and the guy's like trying to chase someone to save the world and he's like I'm gonna throw a cork in here while I chase this guy you know and I know there's most people have seen that. But then, on the other hand, um, I don't know who did the stunts for Baby Driver, but if you're listening, I love you. Thank you so much, because they did rail strides. And the, there was a chase scene in Baby Driver. And I'm not talking about the driver. I'm talking about whoever did the parkour uh, scenes for that. Did an amazing job. And I believe it was... I'm not even going to try to guess, because I honestly don't know, and I don't want to miscredit someone and leave someone hanging, but... If you haven't seen Baby Driver, go watch it. There's like a pretty short parkour chase scene. It's like maybe like five minutes um, towards the end of the movie, but it's incredible. It's like I just want to see that more in in uh, in action movies and in movies in general. Seeing like good parkour technique. It doesn't even have to be good parkour technique, but seeing people chasing efficiently or like you know doing things efficiently, like not landing in a superhero landing, landing and rolling, you know, or like. I don't know, take your pick, you know? Right, no, it's like seeing it be realistic because you understand, like, that's actually not how it would work. Like, yeah. This is what you would actually do in that situation Have you ever jumped off anything before. Yeah. No, like, I definitely get that. So, um, I got a couple more questions for you. Love to. Recently, you, or not recently, I don't know how long it's been now, but you took the big move from the East Coast out to the West Coast yeah, in yeah, San yeah. Diego now. That is probably at least to me right now one of the scariest things you could do like I still live at home yeah you know like getting up moving across country being out there away from everything you've ever known has got to be pretty scary mm-hmm. um, what 
kind of sparked that move and how's that been going? Um, well, a few things sparked it. Um, one of the big ones was winter <laughs> in Boston being really hard on me, um, mentally as well as physically, just because I, I feel like I am a cold-blooded person and I need the sun to, to function properly. And then we lose the sun for so long and it's really hard. Um, so a few other things also, I felt like at the time moving out there, I thought that getting into stunts and getting into parkour work would be easier than it has been. Um, it's been pretty tough. It does seem like I didn't realize, and this is completely my fault. I don't think this is like any fault of anyone else other than just myself being kind of uneducated. Um, I thought it would be easier to start getting work in California because like so much is happening there. It, like California is like itself as a state is like the fifth largest economy in the world, which is crazy to think about. Um, so it was partly that. It was also partly being able to just train outside year round, um, never having to like not have a break, but never having to have like a slump in my training because I couldn't go outside. Um, and then as well as kind of a big part of it was like I've been I was living with my dad and I was working at Hub Parkour Training Center. Um, and I wasn't I was working like 12, 15 hours a week, like not making enough money. And it was getting to the point where my dad was like, yo, like I need you to either get a big boy job and start helping me out or like figure it out, you know, or just start working more at Hub or stop traveling. And I was like, shit, I need to travel. Like, I love it. It's my favorite. Like, after going to, I went to Europe my first time in 27, the end of 2017, but I got home in 2018 because it was for New Year's. And then that year, I went back to Europe, I think, two more times. And it was, like, the most amazing experience of my life. And I was like, I need to be able to keep doing this. Um, so when I moved to California, a big part of that was, like, kind of being, like, it's time to be a big boy, time to get, like, a start making money, start paying rent, start like, you know, paying, just paying my way more than I was at home. Um, ended up being significantly harder than I expected. Uh, I ended up, I work at Starbucks now pretty much full time, which isn't bad. Um, but I mean, obviously we'd all rather be just training, you know, or doing something through that. Um, so on the entrepreneurial side and like the promoting myself as an athlete, definitely not been doing as much as I should be doing. I mean, especially compared to someone like Daryl, who is like one of the only one of the tr only true like self-made professionals in parkour. I mean, there's definitely other people, but like Daryl, I think is a perfect example because like his confidence in himself, he's been able to sell himself as an athlete and as a as like a an asset to so many companies, like the cryo company that he's sponsored by. Um, I mean. Incredible. Yeah, Incrediware, Apex. Like he managed to get a deal with with whoever owns the Apex up in NorCal. Um, I think they're becoming Squadron Athletics now. By the way, I'm not mm -hmm. sure if they're. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but that's what I've heard through the grapevine. Take that with a spoonful of salt. Um, but like the California move was. I think it's going to be a positive thing in the long run, but it's definitely. I mean, I stopped, like, training at all for, like, a good four months because I was just, like, I need to just work to pay my sister the rent that I owe her and, like, pay for, like, groceries, et cetera, et cetera. And now I'm at a point where, like, I'm working full time and I'm still finding the time to train. And it's it's a funny dichotomy thing where, like, before when I was at home, I was working, like, 15 hours a week and I wasn't training as much as I am now. 
Like I had so much free time and I spent so much of that free time just wishing I had more money so I could like put gas in my car and go to Boston and train or like more money so that I could travel more. And now it's like I have more money and I don't have as much free time, but I have more appreciation for that time that I do have. And I use that so much wiser than I do like was when I was at home. Um, that being said, I wasn't sure what the PK community was like in California and it's good for sure. Not trying to bash that at all, but it, it is more a different style than I'm used to. A lot of the guys that I train with at home, like Dylan and Ernest and Jeremiah, um, are all like much similar to my style of parkour, like hitting like larger precisions and more fundamental, like, uh, dynamic movements. Whereas like in California, I noticed a lot of times I go out and train and they're doing like more free running lines and stuff. And again, infinite amount of respect for that. I don't put it any lower or any higher than the movement I do, but it's tough to train. It's like being a street skater and going somewhere where everyone's a vert skater. It's like, it's tough. On the other hand, it also has made me kind of open up my movement a little bit more. And like, I do try to make more hybrid lines now, which I think has kind of improved even just my pure PK because I have more air awareness and I'm more com like confident with hitting things at weird angles, et cetera, et cetera. But the only other thing that's been tough has been um, trying to get back to Europe because Europe is like, and it's such a cliche, like American kid thing to say that it's like, oh, dude, I love being in England. I love being in Holland. But like, it truly is a different place. You know, the communities there seem to be more like tighter in the sense that like kids are just seshing like all the time and you're like there's so many more people doing it out of the general population it seems like again someone in europe is going to be like dude no like the community sucks here but like they might be right i don't know but when i was out there it seemed stronger you know it seemed like there were more people in the city training on a day-to-day -day basis the spots i love i mean it's the old english or sorry the old european architecture just seems better for parkour than like when i'm in california most of the walls, I feel like I'm going to put my foot through if I try to do anything on them, you know? Um, so it's just like the architecture and all that. And getting to Europe now is significantly harder. I think a round trip flight now is like another $700. So like flying from Boston to London or Amsterdam, I could probably do it. If I did it right, I could probably get round trip for like five, 600. And now it's like over a thousand, no matter what I do. <laughs> Which is like, in the grand scheme of things, that's not that much. But if you're trying to get out for competition or like events multiple times a year, whether it's like hop the block, own the spot for the love. I've wanted to go out to Project Underground for like so, so many years or what, however many years they've been running it now. Haven't got a chance to get out there. But like being farther away from Europe has definitely been harder. Um, but other than that, I think it's a general moving to California has been a big learning experience and a big maturing experience, um, which includes naturally a lot of suffering and like a lot of uh, struggle, um, even with the fact that I think I have one of the best support systems anyone could ask for. Like my both my parents have always been like ultra, ultra supportive of like what my sister and I do. Um, and they're like, we're never going to like, you don't have to, unless it gets to the point where it's just impossible, we'll never make you give up on this you know as long as you're willing to put in the work to, to do it um so they've like i can't thank them enough i can't think my sister especially like the past year has been like not only financially but like 
almost as like an older sister, which is weird to say, but like what I don't think people realize is like I didn't live I didn't live with my older sister for like six years, so I didn't have her as an older like as that involved in my life as an older sister. So having that back is really nice. But yeah, California's sick. I just wish people would come visit me more. So if you want to come visit me, just hit me up, <laughs> DM me. <laughs> Dude, that is sick. And I like I really like what you said about um, kind of like learning a lot through suffering. Going out there, I think a lot of growth occurs in the suffering, and people have to be willing to acknowledge that's the price you're going to pay yeah. if you want the things you say you want. If you actually want to achieve it, you've got to be willing to put in that work and, and make sacrifices. Go through, yeah, like you got to go through the shit. Like yeah. No one, absolutely no one makes it through to a certain level of success without going through the crap and yeah. having the sacrifices. What I think is kind of cool is, you know, you make that comparison saying, like, Europe is, like, you got to put it on a pedestal. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might acknowledge that the kids there might feel like it's not that great, not that amazing. However, you know, for you, where your movement is formed, you know, you like those foundational movements. You like Kongs and Big Prees and Strides. Yeah. And a lot of the architecture out there supplies that for you. It's kind of like someone being like, yo, I'm really into hiking, but I live in Florida where <laughs> everything is flat. It's just like, yeah, of course you're going to want to move to Colorado. There's only so many ponds you can walk around in Florida before you get tired of it. You know? Exactly. Like you got to put yourself in the environment that caters to what you're into. Cause yep. at the end of the day, like you can't just, you know, change necessarily completely your outside world. You got to change where you are in that mm-hmm. world, put yourself where you want to be. Yeah. Dang, dude, that's crazy, man. Or just move to Europe. I mean, you could just move to Europe. That's, that's the goal at some point in the next few years, but... You think it would be like a lifetime move or just like a temporary, like, go live out there for a couple of years? It would definitely start at the couple of years thing. Um, that's what California was as well. Like, I don't intend to live anywhere. Like, I think the 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 place I end up moving for the rest of my life will not be intentional. It will be like, I'll be at an old age and I will move, decide to move again. And then I'll just die there. And I'll be like, well, that's, I guess, so that's where I move for the rest of my life, you know? I want to live in as many different places as possible. And I don't know how realistic that is of a dream or of a goal, but I'm okay with being poor and happy. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's the most important thing because we could all be at that place where it's like you've got everything outwardly, but then like on the inside, if things suck, things suck on the yeah, inside. Yeah. And, what you have outside, like, literally does not matter at all. Unless it does. I mean, if fucking Rolexes are what make you happy, that's what's going to make you happy. Right, but, like, that's going to make you happy on the inside. You can't just have a Rolex yeah, exactly. because, like, you believe Rolexes are going to be happy. Yeah, yeah, Because, yeah. like, I definitely know some people like that, and it's just, like, dude, you can't be, like, you're buying things based off what you think it should make you feel like yep. versus what it actually makes you feel like. And it's, like, if you're not moving based on how you're actually feeling... And you're not in tune with that, then you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. Yeah, it's like and actualized self versus like ideal, like idealized self. Right. You know, who do you want to be versus like who are you actually at heart, or like not even who do you want to be, but like who do you see yourself wanting to be? Almost where like who are you, who do you feel like you're expected to be versus like where are you really at? You know, when you're honest with yourself, dude, which is hard to be. 
That's a big thing, man. Like, I mean, that I think comes from having a higher EQ. And, like, I kind of want to go down this bunny rabbit hole now. Just because, like, down for rabbit holes. Oh, yeah, dude. Like, I mean, like, so I love my father. I'm going to bring him into this real quick. Love him to death. And intelligent man. Like, me and him could sit and talk for two, three hours. He's really book smart, knows a lot of stuff. But growing up, I found that he didn't have a high EQ. Like, I always kind of noticed something was off. What do you mean by, could you clarify EQ? All right, so in this uh, definition of EQ, or just, like, he couldn't pick up on social cues and body language and things like that. So, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of like we're sitting in a room right now talking to each other, and if my social body language started to change and I made certain faces, you would pick up on that and decide, oh, he's either interested in the conversation or maybe he's telling me not to talk about that or whatever. My father never picked up on that kind of stuff. And he, what I found, what I observed from watching him growing up is that he wouldn't necessarily do things that made him happy. Rather, he would do things that are supposed to make you happy, mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, So sure. when he would potentially like tell a joke, it was supposed to be like he would tell a joke that's supposed to be funny, but the joke's not actually funny because it doesn't really apply to this crowd. But he could <laughs> yeah. see that. So he would say the joke, and he would put out a laugh, and the laugh was more like of a ha-ha, not a deep, true yeah. no, I laugh. think that's funny, but... I see why you thought that was right. Funny. Like I know this is supposed to be funny, so I'm gonna laugh when the punchline comes. Yeah. And I find a lot of people, or not a lot of people, but I find certain people move through life in that way where mm. they do certain things based off of their perceived reaction or the perceived result of it. Yeah. So I'm gonna go get the job that gets me six figures a year because once I have those six figures and I buy the house and I get the car and I'm able to have a stay-at-home wife life is going to be good and everyone's going to be happy and then they find that they're not happy and unfortunately a lot of those people when they get to that point they don't acknowledge it because you know through cultural culturally they were taught this is what will bring you happiness so you are a success so they're using their intellect to determine hey i'm a success i'm happy although internally they're not feeling that way so now they don't know which way which one to go with and they feel it's kind of feminine always for been, a lot of dudes yeah that's always been so interesting to me because I've always been I haven't always been a feminine guy but like I've always been so okay with like reaching inside and being like damn I feel like shit right now and I'm like you're my, like it's such a cliche example but like if you can't cry in front of the boys they ain't your boys you know Facts. and like so many people are like see like will hear me say that and be like why would you cry in the first place you know and it's like if you can't cry man like what are you doing like if you can't cry you can't truly laugh at the same time and that's a weirdly cliche thing for me to say and people someone at home's like oh fuck, what is he talking about but it's true like if you can't honestly express your emotions and you can't honestly like be in touch with yourself at that level whether it's negative or positive, there's no way you're doing that with other people who you don't know. Like, and it's, it is crazy to see that because like people get so caught up in like the perceived, like, how am I supposed to be in this situation? Like, oh, I'm in like a shitty relationship. How am I supposed to be in this? You know? And it's, it's a weirdly, uh, it's definitely a nebulous idea that it's not as concrete, but it's just, it is sad because I do think like 
no one's unless you have like incredible parents or if you just get lucky and you naturally have that most people just don't get taught that that's an important thing you know that like not being outwardly authentic but being inwardly authentic yeah 100 percent. i mean i think it's it comes down to a culture it's what's valued in the culture is what's going to be taught because most parents are coming from a place of okay i want to see my seed succeed and i'm going to give them everything that they need to survive in this culture so you know generations before us what did a man need a man need to be tough stern give a good handshake and you know he couldn't be seen breaking down out in the world you know he had to be the stone or you know we go back to the times of war and you know like there are no there's no place for emotion in war so when we're shipping all of our men out to war we don't need to teach them how to cope with emotions Mm. because out there that could potentially get them killed so now what happens when those guys come home and they're raising their sons. Yeah. They're teaching their sons That's the exact same thing. That's going to naturally pass on. Yeah. Exactly. And now... It permeates through a culture. Right. You know, so we got a wartime mindset in a peacetime culture. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm starting to think maybe this is my personal belief because my mind is filtered to see things like this, but I'm starting to believe that our culture is starting to value authentic. Again, we're kind of moving back to the place of it's not the time for it to be a con man. In the past, it was the time to be a con man. Now it's the time to be the person that, you know, spills the authentic truth and, like, spills their shit. Oh, man, that's tough. Because it's like, I want to agree with that so bad. But then, like, we have a con man running the country. And (laughs) there's so many people that, that look at... Like, if you had a goddamn cartoon of a con man... And I'm sorry for whoever is not interested in politics, but turn this shit off because <laughs> we going in. Like, our president is literally a caricature of, like, an old-timey caricature cartoon of a con man. And people, there's a large minority of the country who still looks at that and is like, that is no bullshit. That's what a no bullshit guy looks like. And it's like, that is bullshit turned up to 11 you know, so on one hand, I'm with you because I do think that that is picking up a little bit, the whole like being authentic thing. But on the other hand, it's like it does seem like the the bullshit comment shit is winning and it's winning over a lot of people. And I see a lot of my friends who I think are of as smart people almost like getting to the point where they're like, I almost respect that, you know, like I almost like and this I'm using a different voice because this is not my opinion. I'm trying to. <laughs> show what I've heard other people say is like they'll look at like Donald Trump lying about something to make himself look good like posturing you know like classic posturing and they'll be like that's good like that's impressive that he can do that and I'm like it works in the situation that he's doing it for but like it's I don't see why that's a, a, a virtuous thing to have you know because sometimes virtues don't work like honesty sometimes doesn't work in your favor like if I'm being honest with some people I'm going to lose, like, you know, there's plenty of times in my life where being honest has gotten me in trouble, you know, but being honest throughout my life is going to at least keep me as, like, me. I'm going to be okay with myself, you know, I might lose out on a friendship, but it's like, damn, if I had to lie to keep a friendship, wasn't a real friendship, wasn't a real, 
Like, you can't cry in front of your boys. They ain't your boys, you know? Dude, I mean, so, like... I one think, other thing real quick, oh, though. One other go. On top of, like, what you said actually really struck, struck a chord, the wartime mindset in peacetime. I think that's true on multiple different, like, cultural uh, levels. So, like, I also feel like we're suffering from a scarcity mindset in a post-scarcity society. This whole, like, and we were talking about this the other day, this whole, like, fuck you, I got mine attitude, right. which seems to be so prevalent. Um, not, I don't know how much in parkour, but just in general in America is, like, a crazy thing for me because I see, like, people talking about, just as an easy example that comes to mind is, like, the whole, like, student debt thing. I ain't, I'm not too educated on that. I do have student debt because I went to school for, like, a semester. And I owe, like, $50 a month. So I'm, like, I'm fully chilling. Like, I don't need student debt forgiveness. But, like, there's a lot of politicians that are talking about student debt forgiveness now. And I see this, like, it's a, to me it's such a strange mindset to have because I see people who are literally saying, and this is their argument against it, is that, well, I paid off my student debt, so why should you not have to? And I'm, like, you paid off your student debt in the 80s when, like, you could do that working at 7-Eleven. Like, I got friends right now that are coming out of school, going into like high level engineering jobs that are going to be in debt for the majority of their life. No matter, I mean, not no matter how much they make, but like, it doesn't matter because they're going to be in debt for a very large majority of their life, if not the rest of their life. And like, to have this opinion of like, well, I'm, I had to suffer through something that was definitely unnecessary. I think you should also have to suffer through that unnecessary suffering, you know? And it's it's a weird thing because we were just talking about how suffering can be good, but I think there's a difference between unnecessary suffering for someone else's greed and, like, intrinsic suffering in the sense of, like, whether it's just suffering in the sense of, like, having a struggle physically, trying to become, like, a stronger person. That is That's suffering. Going to the weight room is suffering. But that's intrinsic suffering in the sense that it is, a, it is a struggle to get stronger. It is a struggle to improve yourself. Paying off student debts, that's not fucking improving yourself. That's just trying to survive. So it's like there's certain places where suffering is not needed. And there are certain places where it is. And I think something like student debt, it's not needed. You shouldn't have to suffer for the rest of your life or even for the next 20 years. You know? Yeah, no, I mean, I agree. I think that comes... A lot of this comes down to longevity and where, like, what the intentions are. And I've been saying intention a lot tonight, but I, I'm big on why you're doing what you're doing. Yeah. And the, I'm really big into longevity. Anyone that ever talks to me, not just in movement, but in every sense of the word. You know, so, like, before we are saying, you know, Donald Trump out here being the biggest con man. Yeah. And there are some guys who are like, wow, that's actually impressive that he can do that. And, you know, that's useful. Oh, it's definitely impressive, but, but I disagree that it's impressive in the same way that being able to deadlift 550 pounds is impressive. Right. You know? Because it's useful and that's good. I think that's a virtuous thing to be able to do, to be physically strong. Right. But then even, like, when it comes down to it, like, I look at it where it's like, all right, cool, that's impressive. It got him the result today. Right? But... Now, for the rest of history, people are going to look at him as, like, the guy that lied, the yeah. guy that messed up a lot. Like, he's just destroying his reputation for a large majority of people are going to, like, just view him as mm -hmm. the bad guy. 
So if he in loses. the long game, yeah, like in the long game, like yeah. what did you really win? Did you win the long game or did you win the short game and sacrifice the long game? Yeah, and that comes back to like that honesty thing. Right. Like sometimes you're going to lose out because you're honest, but in the long run you were fucking honest. Exactly. And I think that's better that delayed gratification. That's something that seems to be, I guess, not... Gaining. Yeah, like it's. I think it's starting to gain traction again. I think for the longest time it's been unpopular yeah. just because a product of just modern technology and modern society, we're able to have everything in an instant. Yeah. And I don't think people realize how terrible that actually is. Not saying... Let's do away with technology. I'll never say that. Yeah, it's yeah, all no, techno- well, it's exactly right. it's a tool. It's a tool if you if you recognize it as such. It you use it how you want to use it intentfully, but then when you start letting the tool use you, or you just stop having intention, like a hammer is not bad, but if you hit somebody over the head with a hammer, the hammer is still not bad. You're just a bad person, or for, you did a bad action. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For hitting someone You're using a, a tool in a shitty way. Yeah, so don't blame the tool. Like it comes down to you. So. Yep. You know, I guess this is now going to be a question for you. When it comes to longevity in movement, lifestyle, and I guess you're still working on the finances side of everything, but as far as like your movement and lifestyle, what are habits that you've built in place so that you can provide longevity for yourself if longevity is even something that you care about? I do know that some people will say, like, I'm not interested in doing this past 30 like I want to ride peak and you know whatever like I'll be able to say I did it I met yeah. people that have openly said that and it strikes me as odd but to each his own you know yeah um it's a good question because I struggle with that for sure I'm going to talk about the physical first um because there's two sides to that there is like do I want to be able to move fluidly and be strong etc cetera, etc cetera, my whole life or do I want to be able to perform at peak performance? Because what a lot of people don't get is that performance and healthiness are not synonymous. Being like you say in Bolt, not a healthy person. You know, he's I don't know what issues he has. Homie's gonna have issues very soon, you know? Tom Brady, not peak performance. And he's or sorry, not not peak health. And he's one of those people who's trying to draw the line between the two. He's talking about like longevity at peak performance, so it's that's a bad example. But um, Tom Taylor, I think, has spoken about this through his Instagram. And then um, one guy I'm a huge fan of, Yuho. I don't know his last name, but his Instagram is Yuhoku. Is that um, Yuho LaRouche, I think? Is maybe he's... Um, oh, man. I'm sorry, Yuho. I know you're not listening, but <laughs> he's either from Norway or Finland, and he's... Uh, parkour athlete, powerlifter, super fucking strong dude. And I saw, I found him through Max Henry, who I guess is friends with him. And he's been posting a lot of stuff on his Instagram regarding like sports science. And he talks a lot about how like being max peak performance is not synonymous with health. And a great analogy I like to think of is like a sports car. Like if you're going to get a car that you want to drive for the rest of your life, buy a fucking Volvo. If you want to buy a car that's going to drive really fast and take corners fast, buy a Ferrari. That Ferrari, if you drive a Ferrari the way it's meant to be driven, it's not going to last you very long. You're going to burn that thing out. You're going to ruin the engine. Not ruin the engine because I don't think using, I don't think destroying something through high performance use is 
is destroying it. Right. Really, it's using it right. in using the way it it's meant to be used. Um, so to get back to the point, I'm not sure where I fall yet on the longevity versus performance thing. Um, at least in my philosophy, in my actions, it's definitely been performance. <laughs> I've definitely been injuring myself and maxing out what my body can do, um, probably to a bit of a fault because I've been dealing with tendonitis for, or tendinopathy for the past, what year is it now, 2019? I've been dealing it since I was 17 or 18, um, and it was very manageable for a while, and then I just didn't manage it properly. Started doing parkour without lifting and not stretching ever and never doing hip or ankle strengthening stuff. So my knees are in a bad spot right now. And luckily I'm 22, about to be 23. So I have a few years to continue to pull performance out before I actually start seeing a decline in my health. So the goal is to have that out of the way, have my tendinopathy gone, gone by next summer. We'll see how that goes with competition and events coming because... A lot of times the FOMO wins out and you're like, I shouldn't be training, but I'm going to go to NAPC and get jacked up and et cetera, et cetera. Um, on the plus side, I have been the past couple of years, I've been doing a lot more to increase my performance in a more long, like longevity centered way. Um, I've been on Tom Taylor's movement program at movement power on Instagram. If you want to get strong, go to him. Don't go to anyone else. Just go to Tom. He's got you. I promise you. Um, and Tom's got us on not a basic, but like a very fundamental lifting schedule and like lifting philosophy of making yourself. There's like, it's like triphasic training. So you start off at uh, structure. So I'm built, you're building mass in your muscles. You're making your muscles be able to move more weight, but gaining weight. You know, and then you go through the strength phase, which is almost like not shrinking the muscle, but tightening that muscle up and in, in, in losing the excess weight while making those muscles stronger. And then towards the beginning of uh, the competition phase, so like May or June, you start your speed phase, which is just making it's less about the muscles and it's more about like the neural fibers in your muscles and your brain and your uh, I don't know why I can't like. Uh, your nervous system. Sorry, right. I don't know why that was hard for me to say. And making your nervous system fire faster. So doing a lot of plyometric activities. So you build up a muscle. Then you kind of whittle that muscle down into like what it needs to be. Like the strongest, tightest, densest form. And then you make the wiring system for that. Um, your nervous system. You make the nervous system then work as, as quickly as it can with that muscle. And that's essentially how we, he's been trying to suck the best performance out of our bodies um and the nice thing is structure i've noticed has really when i'm doing the structure phase my knees feel fucking bulletproof but i feel heavy and i feel slow so the trick is to try to find a middle ground there where i do structure long enough to hopefully heal the ten the tendinopathy and allow that tendon to to heal up and then i do the speed phase because that's the speed phase obviously is when the, the symptoms of the tendinopathy, the knee pain, and and probably a little bit of tendon damage start showing because you're just putting so much elastic stress on those tendons and those muscles. Um, so the goal right now is just to get to the point where uh, I can go into that speed phase, and ideally next summer I will make it through the speed phase without getting the symptoms back. Um, 
And then we move on to uh, lifestyle longevity. That I'm about because I don't see, I think the equivalent of like performance over longevity in, in like lifestyle would be like that rat race type thing, you know? I'm okay with doing the rat race for physical activity, you know, like pushing peak performance even if I have to suffer later because I believe we're all going to end up in the same spot. People are always like, oh, what's going to happen when you're 40 and your knees hurt? And I'm like, dude, you're 40 and your knees hurt because you've been sitting down your whole life. Like, yeah, my knees are going to hurt, but they're going to be, they're going to hurt because I've been doing something with them, you know? We all end up in the same spot and that's the ground. I don't care if I, if I get there in more pain than you do, you know? Because I'm going to have done way cooler shit. Um, but yeah, on the lifestyle aspect, I like to think of like kind of my longevity is obviously mental health and then like satisfaction with my life. Um, so I've been doing a lot of meditating. Um, a a guy I'm a big fan of is Sam Harris. He's a a neurobiologist, a philosopher and a big, I'm not going to call him a guru, but he's like a big proponent of meditation and, and mindfulness. Um, so I've been doing a lot of meditation recently and just focusing on like, which again, we were talking about this earlier, um, kind of being able to using mindfulness, being able to observe negative emotions instead of getting sucked up in them. So like, especially cause I've dealt with anxiety and depression a lot through my life. Um, trying to meditate and get to the point where when I am feeling anxious about something, whether it's a move in parkour Um, whether it's like, yeah, like committing to a move, um, or committing to a move to California and dealing with like that self doubt of like, what happens if you fuck this up? Like what happens if you end up like the other, like hundred thousand homeless people in LA, you know, um, being able to kind of, uh, if you take a a deep breath and you like, I'm not going to say center yourself, but like if you're able to get to a point where when you start to feel anxious, instead of getting caught up in that anxiety and allowing those thought loops to continue, you say in like within yourself, you're like, I'm feeling anxious right now. And you observe that anxiety and you observe it and you observe its causes rather. You can notice that it will pass, you know, or when someone like says something shitty to you, like, Hey, do a backflip. Most of the time, unfortunately, I am going to comment back just cause I like being a smart ass, but a lot of times what I've been trying to do is just like when that anger pops up, instead of bathing in the anger and allowing the anger to then like uh, to then decide my next action, you observe that anger and you're like, well, I'm kind of pissed right now. Makes sense. That kid's being a cunt, you know, why am I like, why am I pissed? Thinking about the ang- not thinking about the anger, but observing it and observing how it feels, and then being like, well, I'm not that pissed right now. Well, that's weird. Oh, I'm not angry at all anymore, and I'm moving on with my day. Or if I'm about to do a precision, I'm like, geez, I'm fucking scared. Like, what happens if I nut myself? And then I'm like, well, I haven't nutted myself since I was 13 years old, and I didn't even hit my balls. Shout out to whoever's seen that video. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like, rationalizing that, you know? Because so many of our emotions are irrational by definition. We're not rational creatures. We can, I think, be more rational creatures. And I think by being more rational and by being more, not necessarily skeptical, but being more mindful about why we feel certain ways and why we think certain ways, we're able to not hack our brains, 
but just be smarter about how we interact with like not only the world around us but our internal our internal thoughts feelings tribulations yeah dude it's so it's so funny that you know you just saying that just sparked something in my brain which is going back to what we were talking about earlier with things being tools mm-hmm. you know our even our rationality where i'm all about like using my rational brain to figure out and overcome you know fears and anxieties and different things i'll use my brain to actually like talk myself through it and figure out yeah. whether or not I should actually do this thing or not and I view it as a tool where it's not the end all because I've had very rational thoughts that have still not produced the positive result mm-hmm. I was looking for and there have been times I've followed the very irrational emotions and those have <clears throat> produced the results I wanted so it's a matter of recognizing that we have multiple tools in the tool belt and yeah. not any one of them is this 100% one size fit all yeah. for every situation just recognizing like okay you know what like right now emotionally I feel you know it's like one of the girls in a relationship with somebody else emotionally I'm still in love with the dude and you know but he cheats me like shit yeah. well use your rational brain to get out of that relationship and yeah. f- like figure start figuring your way out of that yeah, situation yeah. and there are other times where your Being rational brain bear. right or there are times where your rational brain is saying like you know, you're making six figures, but emotionally, like, you are miserable. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, well, on that one, take a gut check and maybe find yeah. another way of living because right now you're just not happy and that money is pretty meaningless. Yeah. So that's cool that as far as longevity, you kind of have learned to tap into that place. I think a lot of guys, at least in our generation, have been viewing things like meditation as feminine which i think is just stupid i think having the power to be able to control your reaction to emotional states actually makes you more powerful because you now become the fighter that people can't read your next move you know like if i wind up to throw a punch and you see me winding up you know exactly where that punch is coming you know how to dodge it you can egg me on and bait me into (laughs) wherever you want me to and we find people that all the time when they're like not level-headed it's like dude you're the best person to make fun of or you're the easiest to take advantage of because you aren't in control of your emotional state you let your emotional state dictate your actions yeah well it's i i know what you're i agree fully with like the guy that a lot of men and i think we're taught this that you shouldn't be an emotional creature and you shouldn't like deal with those emotions but i do see at least in the people I associate with, I see a lot more gravitation towards that meditational thing now where people are like, a lot of my friends, I mean, I wasn't even the first one of my friends to start meditating. Like Dylan Poland got me on that pretty, I mean, I already had dabbled in it a bit, but Dylan was like, taught, like really would, I'm not gonna say peer pressure me, but like Dylan's got a way with words. He's got a way to, he's got a way to convince you to do something you might not be inclined to do otherwise. And he got me to actually take it seriously. And uh, I do start to see a trend. And this again might just be the choice of people I hang out with, but a trend towards that. Let's start to be mindful of of who we are, not only as men but as athletes and human beings in in a machine. You know, one hundred percent. And no, I definitely agree with you there. Like one thing I gotta say about. So far, everyone I've interviewed, although those last couple of interviews 
did not get recorded. Gone into the ether. Yeah, but everyone that's come on so far, we are definitely a part of a niche community of yeah. growth mindset people. So a lot of these sort of topics we are going to agree on, even if we agree on them in different ways. Mm-hmm. I find that we all see it the same way. And personally, I just, by definition, think the growth mindset is the better way. It allows you to live in a reality of larger possibility of more potential. Adaptation. Right. You know, like it's infinite, whereas yeah. a non-growth mindset's a very limited world to live in. And by there might be yeah. Right. There might be something to be said about living living in a limited world where maybe you know less things less things to worry about you know but yeah. that's not the world and there are, there's definitely people who like the Amish. whether for better or worse are just they want to be more comfortable like i have friends who i love and respect who are just like they're just like i want to just be com- like i want to live a comfortable life and that i mean to you and i that's such a foreign thing right um and it, it does make sense why, because of, like, the world we live in, that people are, like, we've been taught to be comfortable, blah, blah, blah. Um, but there's definitely, I do think there is something to that. But that being said, I don't want to be comfortable all the time. There are times where I want to be comfortable and I really enjoy being comfortable, but that wears off fast. Being scared, not scared, but existing in that gray area between comfortability and ter- not terror, but suffering i think is like a very healthy place to live because it forces you to adapt it forces you to be like adaptable and it forces you to be able to look at things like from a new perspective you know problem like whether it's like just solving a problem or whether it's talking to someone who you vehemently disagree with on like an important topic and still being able to be like i fully disagree with you and i'm will continue to disagree with you but at least i can come to an understanding of where you're at on that and like i'm gonna try to pull you to my side and show you my perspective but i get it you know 100 that's that balance yeah and a lot of meditation i feel like helps people find the balance and we understand that balance i think a lot of there's a lot of misunderstanding of what balance, what it means to achieve balance. Mm-hmm. You know, we understand this from parkour that when you're balanced, it's not you get there and you're good. It's something that you have to consistently be yeah. readjusting. You don't just, it's like when you're manning on a skateboard, you don't just like hit that perfect point and, and lock it. You don't lock in. Right. It's, you got to keep, you know, micro adjustments yep. to maintain the balance. And that's, that's key. That's crucial. Yeah. And in life, it's the same thing. Like if too much comfortability is a bad thing, too much chaos, too much suffering's a bad thing. So yeah. you never want to ride either end of the spectrum. So too we, much order is a bad thing. Oh, got to throw a little chaos in there. And that's actually you said something earlier. That actually, I want to bring back up before we uh, start to wrap this up, which was you spoke about there being like a dichotomy, right? And you said how earlier when you were up in Boston, you had a lot of free time. And with that free time, you actually weren't getting as much training time. Mm-hmm. However, when you got out to California, your time was limited, a lot more limited, which gave it more value. You were able to get way more training done. That's something that I've come across in my studies where you actually find that when you are, when you create a schedule for yourself or when you're more disciplined about your time or more disciplined about your life, you actually gain more freedom ironically Mm -hmm. and that's a foreign concept to people because 
you know, rationally, they sound like very opposing ideas. If yeah. I'm more disciplined and I have more structure, how can I possibly have more freedom? Yeah. But it's now that you only have these limited hours set to do exactly what you want to do, you value those hours yeah. more. You pack more into those hours. You get more done. Because I think we acknowledge that time and the feeling of the passage of time is really more about how you how much you're doing in that space yeah. and how much of that stuff is new and novel <laughs> so oh yeah 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 right so when you have limited time and it's like all right like i don't want to do the same old same old thing but if you have all the time in the world you end up just I'm doing just the same old, same old doing, thing yeah exactly yeah but there right, i only have one hour this week like what can i do with that one hour i'm going to plan it out i'm going to make something happen mm-hmm. important with it so that's something cool that i think a lot of people kind of should start to recognize if they don't recognize yeah. already and maybe experiment in their own life to stop bitching about yeah. not having enough time. Well, it's, it's wild because it is one of the only things I can think of off the top of my head that I've done a complete 180 on because I used to be, like, when I was had all that free time and my dad was like, yo, you should start working more and, like, et cetera, et cetera. I was always like, yeah, but then I won't have any time to train. And, like, he would be like, you have all the time in the world to train and you train once a week. Like, what are you talking about? And, like, even then, even when he brought up, like, the most simple rebuttal to my argument, I, I was like, nah, fuck that. Like, I want as much free time as I can get. And, like, when I started working, yeah, exactly. I Exactly like what you said. I, like, started to be like, shit, like, what am, like I want to train. Like, I, I'll be at work making coffee, and I'll be like, yeah, but, like, when I get out, I don't care how tired I am. I'm going to the gym, and I'm going to get my shit done today. And then maybe I can relax for a bit tonight. And it is that, uh, it's like Jocko Willink, the boy. Yes. Freedom through discipline, man, because, oh, shit, where was I? I'm terrible with my mind tonight, man. Oh. When you have, oh, shit. <laughs> Cue me back in real quick. No, we're talking lost. about the idea. No, of- I know. I forget what I had to say, though. I had something very good while you were talking about it. Um I think that as not so much even on the scheduling aspect of it on like I don't know how important a schedule is because I don't other than my work schedule I and my lifting schedule which is just Monday, Wednesday and Friday I don't work much off of a schedule but I do work off of like because I'm an impulsive person, you know. So like when when I am at work and I'm like I get a twinge of like hunger for something what I do now is I kind of latch on to that, whether it's like, I want to film today. I'm not going to be like, I want to film today and then be like, sweet, I'll do that later. Like, and forget about that and move on. I'll be like, oh, I want to film today. And I'll just immediately like, be like, yo, boss, like, can I go to the bathroom real quick? And I'll go to the bathroom and I'll text someone and be like, yo, film, I'm like, after work, let's like do something. And like, I try to lock in and create a schedule on the fly almost and lock myself into a plan and be like, I'm going after work and I'm going to go get at least a line done. Or even if I don't get a line done, I'm going to go and I'm going to start working on a line or something and start work. Like that first step is so often the hardest step to make. But right. once you get there, if it's something you already want to do, that momentum's going to take over. See, so to me, I mean, like when I hear that, though, it sounds like you are a scheduled person. It's just maybe you don't schedule 
the next five, ten weeks out in advance. Schedule like, day at a time, yeah. Right, you get there and like you're scheduling in each day. Yeah. Which like and it's working because you're now holding yourself accountable to the yeah, schedule. It's kind of like the idea of, you know, when you have if you hire somebody to come work for you, you gotta tell them what to do. Yeah. And things will start to get done that way. But if you're just like, yeah, do whatever, all right, cool. They're just gonna like maybe yeah. one day they work great, then the next day they lay around on the couch. But if every day consistently there's this standard of what's expected and what you need done, you know that that will get done. Yeah, I also just remembered what I was uh, oh, what I was gonna bring in. So when we were talking about like, you have all this free time and you get caught in, and this it's like this thing that I've always suffered from, which is just like paralysis by analysis. When you, it's like, you have so many choices. When you have, when you're working 12, 15 hours a week and you have like two or three days off where you literally have no responsibility, it can be good sometimes. Like being out here at Woodward right now, I have like my first week, my first time where I have more than just one day off in like the past three or four, three months. And this is good because it's a short burst of like not much responsibility. And I still do feel responsibility because like I want to make my time here worth it for me. So doing like going out training having a good time like enjoying like interacting with like a lot of the people that i've never like haven't seen in a while um going horseback riding bro (laughs) fucking country roads let's go and then i also have i think a bit of a responsibility to woodward to you to henry and to the kids because like that's the reason i'm here that is at the ground that is the reason i'm here is to at least try to give back a bit you know um so having that lack of like a big responsibility is nice but when you don't have that responsibility in general you have all these different choices you can make and i would always just get so caught up in like i could go train today but like what if i get into boston and it rains and i can't and then i can't train and i wasted a whole day and then i'd spend an i waste an entire day worrying about shit like that or it's like if napc was coming up i'd be like i want to go train but like if i like tweak my ankle i'm going to fuck up the competition And then, like, you end up not doing as well in competition because you didn't train for three months beforehand because you were scared to injure yourself, you know? And I suffered from that for so long, and I definitely still do. No one just wipes a problem off the table. But I'm inching my way, inching the the paralysis by analysis towards the edge through just having less free time because when you only have one hour out of the day instead of 18 to do whatever the hell you want, you only it's like that if you block everything off into hours instead of having 18 choices of things to do you got one choice and you're like you have to choose one thing and that naturally narrows it down because like things like video games and going and having a beer and playing pool um just going for it like doing something lazy you know those things become so irrelevant so fast because i do at the end of the day i do care about only a few things i care about like seeing friends and family i care about training i care about getting stronger and i care about feeling good and those things only come from like parkour for me at least you know parkour and like the things i do around it like bouldering and lifting and like going and doing plyometric exercises at the beach or like random shit like that like when i only have a couple hours a day free it's gonna be the prioritized things that get chosen every time whereas if i have so many hours in the day when i have 18 hours free you always get extra time for those priority 
things, you know? So you take the instant gratification things first because you're like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hang out and watch Netflix for a bit, and then, like, later I'll have that energy to go train. And then it's four hours later, and I'm fucking watching X-Files for the 18th time, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, I'll train tomorrow. I got free time. 100%, and that is... I think that kind of like wraps us up like full circle where we kind yeah. of come back to like how we're talking about intention, mm-hmm. you know, like getting intentful about your time and intentful about everything you do, you know, once again, like that's why we value those big projects. Yeah. That's why we value the athletes who, you know, like you, you make it your intention. And not even the, to, just the athletes, the filmers, the, right, the designers, everyone. Because you recognize like you could see it, especially like I think you get a larger appreciation for it when you start doing it yourself. And you start to recognize, like, okay, wow, like, this happened because you made a very conscious choice to not sit around on your butt all day. Yeah. Like, you went out consistently for six weeks and made this happen. Yeah. Or you've been working consistently at this for years to prepare your body for this. Your filmer has been filming for years, has gone out and made a conscious decision each day to continue mm-hmm. filming to get better at editing, to understand audio, high-quality audio. Yeah. And now we're getting the sound of like your shoes scraping on the wall like that's such a satisfying shout out to Kent and Kai by the way two of the best people doing sound design and parkour videos right like it's amazing you know like and things like that it's you really gain an appreciation for it because not just for what it is but also for understanding the sacrifice it took to make it happen and the attention to detail yeah and that craftsmanship in every sense right that's big so even the craftsmanship of the guy in charge of being like we're going here for this spot for this day because the lighting or like it's going to be a great this is a great spot to oh. be doing lines at you know it's Dude. like there's so many different things that you can do with intention right I mean I think the organizer of things those people are like unsung heroes oh for sure you know, like it's it's like you're the director of the film you're yeah the director of the soul you're the orchestrator and like although you don't play the instrument you you're just as important yeah. as the best violinist. On, on if anything, you might be even more important yeah. because you're the one gathering and well, creating. You, you create that emergent system. Like, right. if you've got a bunch of violinists together, they might get together and, and create an emergent system, you know, but having a, a good composer, or sorry, a good, like, orchestral leader is going to force... An emergent system. An, emer- a, an emergent system is a system that is greater than the sum of its parts. Right. For those of you who don't know, um, so like I think having almost like that kingpin of whether it's a community, whether it's a team, whether it's an event, anything, even just a video project, like you know, even just like the guy who's in charge of the planning for a parkour park, or even the guy who's just. Like someone like Tom Taylor, who's like I feel like Tom's almost like a an orchestrator of just lifts, an orchestrator of physical health. You know, it's like yeah, I know about I know what deadlifts do, I know what Bulgarian split squats do, I know what weighted pull-ups do. I'm still not gonna make as good of a as good of a program as Tom because Tom understands the connections between all those, and you know he's able to bring all those together into a greater sum of their parts, and that's fucking beautiful, dude. That is well put. So let's start to wrap this up because yeah, who's ever been listening to us has been listening for a long time. Hopefully, you how long has it been? Hold on, at one point, I'm gonna check my phone. Oof, yo, two hours, bro. Yeah, so hopefully, like at some point, you paused this, went away, did something productive, and came back and started listening again. Um, 
I do want to end it on one final question. Hopefully, at the end of this, people recognize that you are extremely articulate, pretty well read, and pretty well educated. I think they'll see the opposite. Nah, man. Like I'm better when there's not a mic in my face. Dude, I get nervous. Like getting to know you for the last little while, like talking to you a bunch, like you were definitely up there in intelligence as far as I'm concerned. I appreciate that. I always joke around with you and Max on Instagram saying we need to start that book club. Oh, man. Yeah, Dude, yeah. I tried that, by the way. There's, yeah. There is a parkour book club on Facebook. I'm not sure if I sent you the invite. Yeah, I need to be on that. But I, I like, created it, and it went really well for, like, a, a week or two, and then I realized that everyone in it was reading, like, completely different books. Like, I was reading, like, Sam Harris's, like, um, oh, what was it? The Moral Landscape, which is just this book about secular mora- morality, which, like, ten other people in the world care about. And then, like, oh, Max had, like, some incredible book about, like, a fantasy book that he had. Dylan, like, was talking about this investing book, and none of us were sharing the same books. So I don't know if it's we need more people or if we all need to just, like, concentrate on a book, but I want to restart that that book club for sure. Dude, that would be sick, and I'm all for joining that. So that kind of leads to the question, is there any good book you're reading right now or any focus of your study that you're doing right now? Um. Well, yeah, Uh the the moral landscape by Sam Harris I'm actually reading at the moment um, basically just an argument for secular morality like I said probably ten people care about that um, but I do think it's an important thing um, I think a lot of people think that morality is either given to us or is subjective I don't believe in either of those two things I think that there are uh, there's objective things that we can say about morality and I think science can uh, allow us to to kind of narrow it down and, and get to a point where we, we can make objective claims on, like, this is a morally correct thing to do. This is going to be with... This, this action is going to lead to the most amount of well-being and the least amount of suffering, and we can prove that through whether it's observation, experimentation, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that being said, more people will be interested in the Stephen King series, um, which is the Dark Tower series by Stephen King. In my opinion, the greatest fantasy series of all time. Um, Starts with The Gunslinger. You should start there. Um, If you don't like The Gunslinger, you still will probably like the rest of the series. The Gunslinger is a divisive book. But check it out. Read The Gunslinger. Um, Shoots a bunch of people. It's so good. It's so good. Definitely check it out. Nice. Yo, dude, so thank you for coming out, doing this podcast, you know, giving us your time. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you dropping all the knowledge you dropped, sharing your opinions, getting vulnerable, saying everything that you said. Uh, Where can people find you if they aren't already following you? If you aren't following me already, um, it is Davis V Parkour on Instagram. No spaces, no capitals, no dashes, no nothing. Just Davis V Parkour. Uh... Add me on Facebook if you want to see me share weird surrealist memes. Um, and then uh, other than that, you can text me at... Just kidding. Um, <laughs> drop the number for him. No, uh, Instagram is pretty much, at the moment, the only place I really share anything worth following. So definitely go there. Um, and that's about it. That's all I got. Oh, actually, wait. No, follow me on Spotify. I don't know what my Spotify is, but I make good playlists, I've been told. so. 
Dude, you, your music has been on point since you got to camp. Dude, I listen to everything except for country. And even some country I will listen to. John, John Denver, Bob Dylan, classics. Johnny Cash, he counts. Nice. I think. <laughs> hey, man, thank you. I appreciate it. Dude, we'll have to do time. round two soon, and I'll uh, hopefully rant less. Oh, we're good. A little hopefully, less, like little less tangential. Oh yeah, we've been sitting in the dark for an hour now, so thank you all. Bye. Wow, that was a long one. For any of you guys that listened to the entire thing through, definitely reach out and DM me because I would be interested to know who you are if you have the attention span to listen to us talk for that long without a break. Guys, really, I hope you got some value out of this. If you did, Remember that cost. I want you to share this immediately with a friend. Like right now, while you're listening to it, still screenshot it, go onto Instagram, post it as your story, tag us, witness this underscore brand, tag Davis Vasconcelos, and let's make sure that we are continuing the conversation. We're keeping it alive. DM me if you want to ever talk about anything. And yeah, I'll see you guys next week when we sit down and speak with Sydney Olson.